I was thinking the, the teacher at Ecclesiastes, if you were alive today, he would have this blog entitled, Everything That's Wrong With This World. And he would just jot down all, all his thoughts and comments on this blog post. And, and you know, as we've been going through uh, this book over the past couple of months, you know, talking with some of you, and I get the sense, uh, it makes some of you feel very depressed. <laughs> because over and over you hear the teachers say, you know, meaningless, meaningless. Life is just is meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And so, I mean, it's a good thing that we don't keep any sharp objects around the sanctuary. But, um, you know, there are times within this book of Ecclesiastes where the teacher does not just delve into criticism, but he gives words of practical advice. You know, several times there's just small nuggets when he says things like, you know, enjoy, enjoy your work. Find satisfaction in your work. Enjoy, you know, simple food and drink. Um, but there are other times when he gives longer sections of advice. And the first of these sections is found in our scripture reading for today. I know Pastor Tim last week, he briefly touched on these verses when uh, he spoke through the whole of chapter 5. Uh, but I thought it would be good to just dig into these um, verses a little more because I think there's, there's such a rich... Uh, amount of teaching in it. And so to start us off, I, I have a little video uh, we can watch that'll introduce uh, kind of the, some of the things this, uh, this passage touches on. So, Nate, you can run the video.
Any young families can relate to that video? I hope not too much, seriously, because, you know, in, in this video, even though there were no words until the end, you could tell that this was a family that was quite frazzled as they prepared to go to church. The old, older daughter argues with the mother about what she will or will not wear to church. The younger daughter spills her cereal. The dad just wakes up and seems like he's in a bad mood as he stumbles over the laundry and tries to get the family ready to leave. You know, angry words are exchanged when the dad slams on the brakes while the mother is trying to put on lipstick. You know, not a, not a kind word, it seems, was exchanged until they walk into the church and it's time to put on, you know, a happy face. And then the film ends with the parents engaged in singing the doxology. So what is reality for this family in worship? What is fiction? Are they there to really worship? Or are they there just pretending? And what about you? You know, the teacher has some sound advice on this topic. He starts off by saying, Guard your steps when you go into the house of God. In other words, be very careful when you come to worship because God takes worship very seriously. Remember that you are coming before a holy God and he is to be worshipped properly. And so how are we to properly worship God? I find at least three practical steps that the teacher gives in these verses to guide us in this manner. First in verse 1, he teaches his readers to come with an expectation to hear from God. Come with an expectation to hear from God. Verse 1 reads, Go near to listen rather than offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. We'll look at what the sacrifice of fools means in a bit. But you can see the first part of the command is just listen. Implicit in this command, I think, is the premise that if we are to come to worship God with the intent to listen, then God must obviously have something to say to us. So one question to ask yourself as you enter the sanctuary and come to worship every Sunday is, do you come expecting to hear something from God? You know, maybe some of you really come looking forward to singing the songs, you're enjoying the music, and you want to praise God through it. Maybe others come looking forward to, you know, you know you're going to get into the Word and we're going to study a, a passage of the Bible a little deeper. Maybe others just want to come because they know there's someone they want to see and they want to, you know, converse with and, and catch up with. Or maybe you've just had a, you know, maybe a really bad week and you just come uh, because you want to vent before God to tell them what a rough week you've had. But once again, did you come this morning expecting to hear from God? I believe that for every one of you sitting here this morning, God has something to say to you. And, and I'm not sure what, what the message is or in what form it will come in. Maybe it will be through something that we read in the passage or something I say, but I'm not going to be presumptuous enough to say that what I say is what God exactly wants you to hear t- this morning. You know, maybe it was through one of the songs that we sung, maybe, you know, a verse that we sang just stuck out to you and, and really hit home. Or maybe it's something nonverbal where you saw something or you're going to experience something and you feel the Holy Spirit's prompting. It's just, you know, hey, did you see that? Did you get that? I want to teach you something through that. You know, whatever method he chooses, 
God has something to say to you. Are you expecting that? Are you coming in expecting that? You know, Ecclesiastes tells us to come to listen rather than offer the sacrifice of fools. The sacrifice of fools is where one, instead of coming to listen, just comes to talk and talk and talk. At the end of verse 3, the author uses the same word fool when he writes, so the speech of fools, when they, so is the speech of fools when there are many words. Now, have you ever been in meetings where, you know, You've been with people, and there's certain people that just can't seem to stop talking. You know, maybe there's an important decision that needs to be made. Maybe you're in a group setting where you're learning from a seasoned instructor. But there's someone that seems like he or she just, just likes to hear, hear themselves talk. I mean, not only do they keep on talking, but sometimes they just keep repeating themselves, or they say stuff that doesn't even make sense. I've been in those meetings before, and the carnal part of me just wants to say, you know, shut up. And I think sometimes God wants to say that to us. You know, we come to God saying, God, let me tell you about the week I've had. You know, let me tell you about this problem I have. You know, I have this situation. You need to fix it. Let me dump all these things on you. And God's just saying, you know, stop. Just shut up and listen for a little while. Because I have something to tell you. You know, if we're having problems hearing from God, maybe one reason is that we don't allow ourselves to get in the state to hear from God. We don't allow ourselves to get into a state to hear from God because, you know, we constantly need noise. In our society today, the evidence would suggest that most people are afraid of silence. There must be noise, you know, any noise. As I walk on the streets, almost everyone has earbuds in. People on the airplane, if they're not sleeping, they have earbuds in, they're watching you know, a video, they're, they're listening to music. As soon as people get into the car, what's one of the first things they do? Is they turn on the radio. Even for our youth and, and, and our youth and college students, when I see many of them study, they all have their earbuds in. And, and you may argue back that, well, you know, I have these earbuds in because it's it, it, prevents me from getting distracted and, and, I help, and it focuses more when I have this noise. But by saying that, in actuality, you may be supporting my point. Because we don't like silence. Because when there's silence, we start thinking. And thinking oftentimes raises many awkward questions which we don't want to address. But society chooses to drown out silence with noise. One author comments said, it's bad enough that the, culture should, that the culture should be of this inclination. It is entirely tragic that the people of God who are called to witness to a different reality should be found playing the same game. I remember talking to Chris Cheng, I think it was a few months ago, and he was sharing about his last school year when he had Dr. Fizenmeyer, uh, you know, this year's retreat speaker, is, is a professor for one of his classes on spiritual formation. He shared how one of the assignments Dr. Fizenmeyer gave for class is that each student in the class would have to spend 45 minutes a day in silent meditation over the course of the semester. And I know this was, I think, you know, initially scary for Chris. I think if I had that assignment, I would be petrified. Because I would be like, am I going to fall asleep? You know, what am I going to do during that time? 
But in the end, Chris shared that, you know, it was the most helpful thing he ever did, was to spend that 45 minutes a day in silent meditation. I think even for us, when we see worship, I know I'm guilty of it, we can sometimes seem to be afraid of silence. And the worship team, I encourage, you know, our team to try to tighten transitions between songs so that there's not too much awkward silence. You know, when a worship leader prays, we have music playing in the background because maybe it just sounds weird for him to pray in silence. I don't know. But in our worship, should we also be allowing time for people to come before God in silent awe, in a posture of listening? Or should those up on stage be filling the time with words and sound? And I think about the time God spoke to Elijah in 1 Kings 19. You know, those familiar with this story know the voice came in the form of a gentle whisper. And I wonder if we often miss hearing God's voice because we fill our surroundings with so much other noise that it drowns out the gentle whisper that God might have to speak to us. And related to this, related to our need to listen and be silent before the Lord, is the next thing the teacher instructs, which is to come with engaged hearts and minds. Come with engaged hearts and minds. Verses 2 to 3 read, Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. For the dream comes when there are many cares of the speech of a fool, when there are many words. I think many of you are familiar with the Matt Redmond song we sang uh, during the offering time, uh, Let My Words Be Few. It sounded to me like many of you were familiar with the song. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's several years old. And if you were familiar with the song, and you weren't familiar where you got, where, you know, you were wondering where you got some of the lyrics from, you know, you know now. It's found in Ecclesiastes 5. When I first heard this song on the radio, I remember making fun of it, thinking, you know, why do you keep saying, let my words be few, and you keep on singing? You know, why don't you just stop? And, and, you know, I say this, and I'm up here, and I'm reading this passage, and I'm, like, scared of talking too much. But we have to remember the contrast that the teacher is making. You know, he's differentiating between one who properly comes to worship God and the other person who is a fool. The fool is the one who keeps talking because he comes unprepared to worship. In verse 3, he describes a person who has a lot on his mind and as such is prone to lots of dreams. I'm not sure if you've had that experience before where you were just so concerned or preoccupied with something that you know, even when you were trying to sleep, you kept thinking about it. Um, you You knew you were dreaming about it. For myself, once I remember I had a doctor's appointment that for some reason I kept thinking about. And it wasn't, you know, I was, it wasn't that I was even going in for something very serious. But for some reason, the night before, I just kept thinking about this doctor's appointment that I had the next day. And I could tell I was thinking about it in my sleep. I was thinking about it so much that I even woke up in the middle of the night and I had trouble falling back asleep, which is something I usually don't do. I woke up a second time and saw that you know, I looked at the clock and saw that I could still sleep for an hour and a half more. So I said, I need to go to sleep. You know, I've got to stop worrying about this. So eventually I did fall back asleep and I slept so well that I didn't wake up and I missed my doctor's appointment. <laughs> but 
Anyway, you know, that's what he talks about. It's like when you have something so on your mind, you're just going to think about it and, and dream about it. And, and so his point is that in the same way, when a fool comes to worship unprepared, that person is just going to babble. You know, he's just going to spew words because he doesn't recognize his role. In verse 2, his heart is hurried. He isn't properly engaged or prepared his heart to engage for worship. So his mind just gives all this, you know, his mouth, all these words to spew just to try to show or fake that he's prepared to engage in worship. But the one who properly comes to worship God doesn't do this. Here she comes prepared. Here she recognizes his or her standing before God is implied in the second part of verse 2. When the author says, you know, God is in heaven and you are on earth, he's not so much talking about the geographical separation, but he's talking about the vast difference between the infinite God and us as finite humans. You know, he is the eternal God, the creator of all things. Well, we are created mortal beings with limited knowledge and wisdom. Throughout the Bibles, we see what happens to a person when he truly has an encounter with God. You know, for those who remember in Isaiah, when Isaiah got a glimpse of God, in Isaiah 6, he cried out, Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. When the people were with Moses in the wilderness and they got a glimpse of God up on you know, the top of Mount Sinai or above Mount Sinai, they trembled. And they told Moses, you go up to talk to him. We can't go up to talk to him because we're going to die. Even in the New Testament, when Peter recognizes who Jesus was in Luke 5 after the, the miraculous catch of fish, he cries out, go away from me, Lord, because I am a sinful man. When we recognize who we are before God and, and who he is, we won't come to worship foolish and irreverently, but with a clear conviction of what our standing should be before him. You know, throughout the book of Deuteronomy, the author emphasizes how the one undivided God who is holy must be approached by the one undivided individual. Deuteronomy 4, 5, and 6, one of the verses I have the baptism class memorized, says this, it says, Hear, Hear, O Israel. Once again, this listening part. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. So here it talks about the heart, soul, and strength being engaged to worship God. If you read on to verse 7, it speaks of relating to him with our speech. And in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, it talks about relating to him with, us, with our sight. Write these things on the walls for everyone to see. So you see that you know, Deuteronomy kind of emphasizes this holistic approach to worship where all of our senses are engaged. Our whole body is engaged. So I'm saying this when the, you know, when the author of Ecclesiastes talks about letting our words be few. He's not so much talking about the volume or quantity of the words. More so that what that the words we say come from the heart with sincerity. I remember um, reading a story of a church in, um, um, in New Jersey. They had a sign on the wall for the worship team to look at um, before they would come up on stage. And the, and the sign initially said, sing it like you mean it. But they crossed out the like. 
And now the saint said, sing it because you mean it. And that's how we should be coming to worship. Because we are engaged and we believe these words that we sing and read. You remember that back in the Old Testament, people used to come to the temple worshiping God, bringing animals and grain to offer sacrifices to God. And by giving them sacrifices, they thought this was a sign that you know they were good with God or they could get right with God. But David reminds us in Psalm 51 that you know these aren't the important sacrifices that he's really looking for. You know, the sacrifice of God, or a broken spirit, or a broken and contrite heart, these, O oh God, will not despise. So are we coming to worship properly engaged? I know many of us are just trying to rush just to get to church on time, or we get frustrated, maybe he's waiting out there for a parking spot to open up. You know, maybe we could commit to, to coming earlier, to, to just so that we can, can have a sense to come and prepare. Even the times you're waiting out there for your spot to open up, you can just use that time while you're waiting to quiet your hearts, to prepare yourselves to worship God. Guard your steps, the author tells, tells us. You know, tell them at the beginning of service, every time you come on Sunday, God, whatever you want to tell me this morning in service, I'm listening. And then wait expectation expectantly for what he has to tell you. Not only should we come with an expectation to hear from God and come with engaged hearts and minds, at the end of service we should leave with a commitment to obey. Verse seven, verses 4 to 7 of our text talk about the importance of keeping a vow to God once you make it. Verse 4 simply says, When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. He used that word fool again. Fulfill your vow. And understand that making vows was a common practice in the Old Testament. People would use them often to make pacts with each other. If you remember when Saul's son Jonathan uh, spoke with David during the time that Saul was trying to kill David, Jonathan asked David to make a vow. He said in 1 Samuel 20, May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness excuse me, like the Lord's kindness as long as I live, so that I may not be killed, and do not ever cut off kindness from my family. And David made this oath to Jonathan, which some of you probably know, um, you know, resulted in his kindness to Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. Um, and you remember um, when uh, Joshua and the two spies went to check out the promised land in Joshua 2, Rahab said to them, you know, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters, all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. And we know that the spies agreed to this vow. And even before God, people would often make vows before the Lord. When they would come into the temple... You know, someone like Hannah prayed, when she prayed for his child, she said, Lord, if you give me a child, then I will give him to you for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used in his head. And we know she kept this vow with her son Samuel. So in practice, you know, these verses, you know, are, are telling people, you know, if you make a vow, keep it. And I know 
or at least I, I suspect that not many of you make vows like these because it's not a common practice nowadays. I don't know, maybe you do. You know, maybe you pray that, God, if you give me an A on this exam, I'll, I'll read my Bible every day, or God, if you get me into this university, I'll, I'll do this, or God, if you, you know, give me this promotion or this bonus, I'll give a quarter of my income to you. I don't know, maybe, maybe you do. But, but more so than, um, you know, making vows. Oh, by the way, you know, if you do these types of things, like the command says, you know, be sure to follow through. You can't be like the person in verse 6, you know, who says, wait a minute, you know, I made a mistake. I didn't mean to say that. You know, can I take it back? You know, God's obviously not going to be pleased with you if you do, you know, haha, JK, whatever. You know, but a more general principle I think we can glean from these verses is, you know, even if we don't make vows, it's saying, whatever God is telling you to do, whatever you, you know, you are committed to do, do it. You know, every Sunday when you come to worship, you're going to hear something from God. Maybe not every week, but what you hear will often fall into some type of takeaway. You know, maybe at times all you will need to hear is, is, is God telling you, you know, I love you, I care about you. And that, that's all you, you might need to hear that week. But other weeks, he'll be instructing you to do this or that. You know, he'll, he'll be prompting you. Go reconcile with that person. Go spend more time building a, an intentional relationship with that non-Christian friend. Go spend more time building your relationship with me. You know? And when you get these types of instructions, leave committed to do so. When we come to worship, we want to come praising God for all that he is and all that he's done for us. And when we leave, we want to leave equally, be worship, you know, equally in the sense of worshiping God through our acts of obedience to Him. The author summarizes this whole teaching well in verse 7. Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. As I spoke about the biblical encounters people had with God and how it evoked great fear, you know, maybe you were, some of you were thinking, well, that was before Jesus died. But now that he's died, we don't need to have such fear. In the book of Hebrews chapter 10, in fact, it tells us, you know, that we have confidence to enter the high place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, we can draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. I mean, that's true. We can approach the, you know, the throne of God with confidence, unlike the people in the Old Testament who could never think of doing such a thing. Praise God for the sacrifice of Jesus, who allows us to be reconciled in our relationship with God. But understand that even though we have this confidence to approach God, it doesn't negate that we need to come before God recognizing who he is. You know, just a couple of chapters later, in Hebrews 12, after writing this in Hebrews 10, the author writes this. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that can never be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. 
for our God is a consuming fire. So like it says back in Ecclesiastes 5-7, when we come to worship God, we need to come with a healthy fear of him, which translates into reverence and awe, because he is this great and holy God. When you enter the sanctuaries on Sundays, are you mindful of the fact who it is you are coming to worship? I mean, the short passage is, is just so rich with practical advice on how we are to worship God. You know, we are to come expecting to hear from God. We are to come properly engaged with our whole being and leaving with an attitude of obedience. And we be mindful of his words come every Sunday, praying and eagerly expecting to receive all that God have would give to all that God would have to give to us that day. I'm going to close in prayer, uh, just to conclude the message. But after I close, I just want to give you a, a couple of minutes of silence because I feel I would be remiss if I spoke about silence, but I was afraid to give you time to do so. So after I close in prayer, I told the worship team to just, you know, give us two minutes of silence before you start the, the, the song of response. For some of you, the two minutes is going to seem like ten seconds. For others, the two minutes is going to seem like ten minutes. But use this time, you know, regardless of how you feel, just to engage with God and see if you might have something to say to you. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this passage and, and how you remind us through it, you know, how we are to properly come to corporate worship. To be mindful of who you are, how we are to recognize you, and how we are to come to listen and receive what you would have to give to us. So Lord, as we just take a couple of minutes to spend in silence before you, may we recognize who you are, we are being silent before, may we have the silent awe before you and may we hear from you anything that you would want to speak to us during this time like Samuel we ask Lord that you would speak for your servants are listening